This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, my name is Elizabeth McLean. I'm general counsel at Good Hire. And what I really love about working at Good Hire as an attorney is that I get to interpret and apply the law in a way that balances the interests and rights of employers, as well as respecting the rights of candidates who are looking for work. Retail and all businesses can't run without their employees. Hiring the right people is just the first and important step, though. Retaining the right talent, navigating complex HR laws and regulations, and managing them efficiently and productively is another massive challenge, especially the larger the company gets. Recently, Fashion Is Your Business host Rob Sanchez spoke with a few experts on this topic at HR Retail. Here's the first of three interviews presented as an important resource for running your business. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hi, Izzy. Um, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about what you're doing at Good Hire and um, why you're kind of in that position. Sure, yeah. Um, So I'm general counsel at Good Hire, which means that I have the great privilege, and I mean that sincerely, of um, analyzing, interpreting, and applying um, federal, state, and local laws um, as they apply to our industry. So there are a lot of laws that people might not be aware of that regulate the use and procurement of employment background checks. Um, Very niche, kind of nuanced space. Um, but I love it. Uh, it allows me to, um, you know, work with multiple statutes. Um, also have really interesting conversations with employers and understand what drives them. What are they looking for in terms of, you know, what, who they're going to hire? Um, what kinds of employees do they feel are going to benefit their organization? But also getting to, on the opposite side, have similar conversations with applicants for employment and current employees as well and understanding what are their concerns about privacy in this space? Um, what are their philosophies on the use of criminal records uh, when determining whether or not they're going to be a good fit at a job? Um, so, you know, I get a lot of anecdotal um, you know, story type of um, experience with, with those two stakeholder groups while also getting to use the stuff I learned in law school uh, to some degree. Excellent. Um, can you give a little bit of brief background on Good Hire? And I think that'll be a good context for the conversation. Yeah, sure. So um, Good Hire was founded about, I want to say, eight years ago um, as a startup employment screening company out in the Bay Area of California. Um, and its niche in the beginning was really small to medium-sized businesses, uh, employers, who were looking for um, easy-to-use, fast background screening um, via self-serve mechanism. So folks who don't want to have to go through sales in order to buy a background check on people, we provided that. Um, And we still do. But as we've grown over the past three to four years um, into the the mid-market space, um, we've adapted our technology and our products to make sure that um, we're providing a little bit more of a a tool for not just the small to medium-sized market, but larger employers with larger volumes of candidates. Um, but what I love most about the way we've changed is that we've really started to look at 
uh, compliance and fairness and transparency um, and how background checks impact, at the end of the day, the lives of human beings, right? It's yeah. not just data. It's not just ones and zeros on a background check that we're sending to employers. It's uh, a record about a person that could impact their livelihood. Yeah. Um, and we really care about the impact that we have on folks that we screen. So we've been able to you know, build out a compliance department that's focused on knowing what the law is, thinking about what the law should be even, and adapting our product that balances both. Um, so, you know, a lot of folks, that come to us and they're surprised to know that we provide abilities for employers to communicate directly with applicants via this comments for context feature where um, candidates can actually annotate criminal records on their report and explain what happened, provide that background and foster a dialogue between the employer and the candidate. A lot of people are also surprised to know that we do a lot of legal research and provide not necessarily legal advice. We don't provide legal advice, but we provide a lot of compliance advocacy and guidance to customers who might not actually um, have the resources to find it elsewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that that can be pretty expensive. Um, So we view ourselves as subject matter experts in compliance, um, and we view ourselves as a business that at the end of the day, cares, yeah, we care about our balance sheet. We care about, you know, staying in business, but we also balance that with fairness and consumer rights. Mm-hmm. I'd love to go a little bit into a couple specific areas. So um, one you touched on briefly, which was formerly incarcerated or people with criminal records. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that because that right now um, there are targeted communities in the U.S. that historically have different rights than the rest or, or at least different enforcement mechanisms. Sure. Where to um, begin? Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. So, so, um, so what's interesting is that there are, there are two developments in, in this landscape, if you will. So there's the school of thought with employers who are voluntarily choosing to pursue fair chance hiring practices. Um, when I say fair chance hiring practices, I mean practices that are a little non-traditional in that they, um, auto- they don't automatically exclude folks with criminal records. They're willing to go further in the process and get to know candidates um, and make really, really tailored analyses about whether or not convictions are related to the job and whether or not um, you know, criminal records are even predictive of future behavior. So there are employers that are asking those questions and, and developing this new philosophy that um, maybe they should be a little bit more fair in how they use criminal records. And then there's the legal side. So there's what employers are having to do, that they're being forced to do. It's not really a choice. And we see this, um, we, we see this built in this ban the box movement. Uh, ban the box is a, a, started off as a grassroots campaign um, a few years ago. And the idea was let's use local organizations to lobby uh, lawmakers to get them to pass laws that require employers to take that little checkbox off of job applications where folks would indicate if they had a criminal record. Um, I'm sure we've all seen that. Yeah. So since then, um, over 180 jurisdictions now have banned the box laws in place. So they can be at the state level, they can be at the, the county level, the town level, the city level. Um, some impact private employers only, some impact public employers, some impact both. Um, But what's interesting about it is that these laws, as the years have passed, have gotten more and more regulatory or more strict um, in that on the employer side. So they're respecting candidates' rights a whole lot more. Let me give you an example. Um, So if you're in New York City, for example, there's a fair chance ordinance there. 
and you have to conduct an individualized assessment on each applicant and use a specific form to document um, you know, how exactly criminal records are related to the job, and you have to share this with the candidate before you deny them employment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in other jurisdictions, you see requirements that um, you know, certain forms with summaries of rights be provided to candidates. Uh, the federal requirement that a five, uh, five business days between a pre-adverse action notice and a final adverse action notice, which I know is jargon, but it's, that's simply a waiting period between letting a candidate know you might not move forward with them and then actually notifying them of that. Mm-hmm. That period is extended and it significantly in some jurisdictions through ban-the-box laws. So essentially, it's taking the federal law and making it a lot more candidate-friendly. Um, and the idea is, if we can get these folks who have been previously incarcerated, if we can help them get their foot in the door and start that conversation with the employer, then their criminal records are no longer going to be viewed um, as a summation of who they are. Yeah, it keeps them from being banned from society. That's absolutely yeah. right. And I love that. I love that our government or some some local governments, some state governments have actually seen the need for that type of legislation because some employers aren't going to do that on their own. They're going to need to be guided and then they'll eventually see, wait a minute, this helps create awesome culture in our workplace, diversity of perspective, brings a whole different type of skill set and passion to the workplace. So um, I, I love that there's that the employer initiated part to, to fair chance hiring, but also the, you know, the regulatory part. Yeah. Now, what about personality testing? I think that this is a big area where um, there's ways to do it properly. There's ways to do it improperly. Um, there's also, it, it can have the same effect. So I'm autism spectrum, for instance. Um, it can be difficult for me to go through hiring processes because I don't process or communicate in the same way that other people do. Um, what are you seeing on that side and how is that kind of playing out in the regulatory landscape? I haven't seen it at all in the background screening space, actually, okay. um, because that, to my knowledge, that's not very regulated. Um, there might be some instances where ADA would kick in. Um, but fortunately, that's not something that you know I can speak directly to because I haven't worked with employers who come to us seeking that service. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean it's not widely used, um, but I just can't really speak to it. Okay. Yeah. And what about social media? So I, I think that's another hot-button issue right now. Right. Yeah, that is... Uh, we're going down the rabbit hole. So um, there's a split in opinion, if you will, about the, the value of social media checks versus the risk that they pose. Um, some employers do it, some don't. Um, I'll speak to the risk side. Um, there's just a lot of risk involved in using data that you can never really be sure one um, is accurate or current um, or even really shared by the person you think is sharing it. Um, there's some identity issues with spoofed accounts and phishing. Um, I think a few years back, Facebook published that there were like over a million fake accounts on the website. So it's really hard for employers who are leveraging social media information to be able to go on record and say, I 100% like, trust in the information that's on this, this social media um, account. And so you know, there are EEOC issues in terms of you're able to see an, a candidate's race, you're able to see their age, um, you might be able to... You might you know, interpret national origin. Yeah. So there's a lot of, you know, it, it opens up a Pandora's box, um, if you will, around protected information under Title VII. And, you know, our position so far has been that um, the risks 
outweigh the benefits to some degree. That's not to say that there's no value in it for some employers. Um, but, you know, personally, I don't believe that it's a super helpful tool to judge whether or not an applicant is going to be a good employee. Now, what um, what do you think are best practices right now? Can you share some of your thoughts on ways to approach hiring that are maybe newer or better thought out now than they have been in the past? I'll share something that's actually really old, but I'm always surprised when I find that nationwide large employers aren't aware of it or aren't implementing it. So the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission came out in 2012 with guidance on how employers should essentially be using criminal records in the hiring context. And a lot of people, you know, to the, it sounds funny because they think, well, how do criminal records relate to Title VII and equal employment? You know, doesn't that just involve protected groups based on age or, or race or national origin? Yeah. And that is true. Um, but it is a fact, a scientifically proven fact, that people of color are arrested at disproportionately yeah. higher rates um, than the rest of the population. Yeah, we looked and, at very interesting stuff in law school, which was looking at, it has to do with the prosecutor, in some cases, the prosecutor's incentive is a higher conviction rate because that's a better look for them. Absolutely. And a jury is more likely to convict. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's the arbitrariness of it, and then there's the fact that at the end of the day, yeah, there is a disproportionate impact um, felt by, by communities of color um, when criminal records, arrest records in particular, yeah. um, are being used in the hiring context. And the EEOC actually came out, thank goodness, and said, look, there's a problem here. Um, and so in order to mitigate the risk of disparate impact discrimination, meaning unintended, um, but discrimination nonetheless, then employers are going to have to do two things. They're going to have to make sure that their background check policies are tailored to the specific job and that there's a demonstrated um, business need for using a criminal background uh, records policy. For example, you would not want someone convicted of bank fraud to work in a bank. Um, it's got to be like very specific to the job itself. That's exactly right. And that makes sense um, yeah. if you assume that background checks are predictive of future behavior. And there's some competing research out there about that. Um, but, but, yeah, the EEOC took a stand and said, look, we're issuing this guidance. Um, you, know, you have to demonstrate these things. And if you don't, you're going to be subject to Title VII lawsuits, discrimination claims, um, and or enforcement from us. And it, there have been plenty of cases, uh, federal cases filed against huge employers, I won't name drop, resulting in millions of dollars. Um, and these are organizations that you would think would get it. Um, organizations that I'm sure have teams of hundreds of lawyers that just haven't caught up with the guidance um, and who are using background checks in an in a arguably unfair way. And so, again, not necessarily new, but it's new to a lot of people, right? Yeah. The, the law, the requirements have been in effect for, for a while. Um, and I should actually clarify, it's not a law, it's just guidance. Um, but Title VII is a law. And it's just, it's just mind-boggling to me that huge corporations haven't caught on to the fact that they need to be addressing this in their hiring policies. So I'm wondering if there's any other areas where you see gaps in understanding or gaps in performance. Oh, goodness. Um, so the evidence would, would say that there are lots of gaps in performance and understanding um, with especially nationwide employers. Um, there are some laws that are very clear about how criminal records can be used, how background checks can be used, and yet Every week, I'm reading new headlines about companies being sued for not complying with the laws that regulate the use of background checks. 
what's just hard to believe about it is that it's the same claims being alleged over and over again. And you would think that enough employers would have called on to the fact that there are certain claims that are susceptible to, to being risen by the or presented by the plaintiff's bar. Um, and you would think that there would be proactive measures in place internally at these organizations to combat that. But um, I, I'm not sure why there haven't been. Um, Do you think it's process? Do you think it's access to enabling technology? Do you think there's um, a structural issue or do you think it's a mindset issue? I think, I think it's because a lot of people just don't consider background screening compliance to be important to an organization or as a, as a body of law that should be respected and, and given significant resource internally at a corporation. Um, it is, I said before, very nuanced, very niche. Um, at the same time, you know, it, you, you're seeing six to seven uh, figure settlements yeah. against very uh, well-known employers. So I think over time we will see uh, a more a sophistication and an acknowledgement by in-house legal teams about this being a real risk and deserving of, of corporate resource and investment, but we're just not there yet. Okay. Yeah, are there any thoughts that you've had from being here at HR Retail that you'd like to share? I was pleasantly surprised, actually, to hear a lot of folks talk about their fair chance hiring policies um, at our at our roundtable just a, about an hour ago. Um, I, I, I heard a little bit more about it coming from some more uh, enterprise-level type uh, organizations. But to me, that, that, that says something, right? Because there, the impact is so much more significant when your hiring volume is 1,000 versus 2, yeah. right? So if we could get those employers to really just, you know, go out on a limb and say, look, folks, look, rest of the industry, we're doing this. We're implementing fair chance hiring, and it's benefiting us in these ways. Mm -hmm. And maybe even, like, putting the data out there, put the performance data out there, show that these individuals are great employees. Then it will have a downstream effect and really promote other companies to follow suit. Um, so I'm going to leave here optimistic, uh, more optimistic than I was coming in about the future of fair chance hiring implementation at larger organizations. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed yeah, learning thanks. from you. It was great. Appreciate it. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Amplify and connect.